Wants are unlimited, but resources always limited. So, how do you distribute your limited resources between your competing and potentially unlimited wants to achieve a fulfilling outcome for your life? That is what we figure out on The Money Spot. I don't even know how to start this story, but... I'm going to make an attempt and I hope you get the information out of this that will help you progress your property. I have a property course, an introduction to property course on Udemy. And one of the comments I got on this was that they wish I had more personal stories. And I was already like hoping to do something related to the property purchase we did in 2020. So here it goes. We had actually been shopping for a property from about 2017. I remember because I was pregnant with my daughter and I saw five houses that I considered to have relatively big gardens that they might perhaps be interested in hiving off to sell. So I went onto um, the land registry got the names of the people that own these properties and wrote to them asking if they wanted to sell their gardens. It turned out that in the area that I wanted to buy, you can't actually sell off a garden because the covenants of the property require only one dwelling per plot of a specific size. So this basically wasn't a possibility. And although I was going through this exercise, I have no idea where I thought I was going to get the money to buy a piece of land because I was self-employed at the time. I didn't have much free cash flow at all. And I knew a plot would cost probably a hundred thousand plus. Probably I didn't even have 10,000 of savings at that time. So, hey, ho, maybe I had 30,000. Yeah, but not enough to afford a hundred thousand. And I thought maybe I could get a mortgage that covered the balance but then where do you get the money to build the house anyway it took from 2017 until 2020 to find a property that we liked the first property that we liked was in an area called Mosley it was a semi-detached five-bedroomed house set on three levels uh, with a drive and having a drive was like top of the list of the things that we wanted in a new home. Um, It was up for about seven to five, but no one had bid for it at that price. Uh, And we made an offer of 700,000. I think the property had been reduced to about that price. And I thought I could get a 10% mortgage. And by that time, um, we had enough of uh, a savings pot to afford a 10% mortgage. And Uh, probably do the house up bit by bit. So backtracking to financial resources, I began working in a regular job in about early 2018. And as soon as I got this job, I essentially saved pretty much all of my income. 54% went into my pension. Um, The balance um, I allowed to go into my account for, for spending. Um, Then the next year, my husband and I decided to up our savings and to essentially save the total that you're allowed to save into an ISA, which is essentially £40,000 per annum. Uh, 
and we cut our expenditure to the bone. Eating out had a budget of about £50 per month and that included going to coffees like at Costa. So literally on a £50 per month eating out budget, we could eat out once a month at somewhere like Nando's. Um, And actually, we started eating out not at all in some months. I used to love eating out. So for me to accept the situation we're in from about 2019, that we're just essentially not spending any money unless it's a necessity, was big. Um, we reduced, uh, we increased expenditure on household food so that we could buy better quality food. Um, for instance, if you have a steak out, you're probably paying 25, 30 pounds. But if you buy a steak from, you know, a budget supermarket, you can get away with paying three or four pounds per steak. Uh, not that we ate many steaks anyway. Um, the, the other meats I prefer. Anyway, long story short, we spent very little money in order to achieve this goal of saving the full ISA allowance. By this time, we'd finished saving for our kids. If you look up my podcasts, um, I have a podcast on how we save for children. So we finished our target 20K per kid and it was invested in diversified index funds. Come March 2020, I do a balance sheet twice a year on 31 March and on 30th of September. The stock market had crashed on the 23rd of March and we had 70,000 as our balance across our ICES. This was uh, quite a fall from the previous uh, balance sheet at 30 September 2019, but I don't remember what that figure was and it's not really relevant for this story. In July of 2020, when this property came up for 700k, even that 70k would have been enough for a 10% deposit, but the market had recovered, so there was a bit more in the in the kitty. But lo and behold, I didn't even know banks were not accepting 10% deposits, and in fact, the property purchase fell through uh, because someone outbid us. So we kept looking. We'd seen various houses come to the market, and I'm sure a lot of people have experienced this as well. Lots of properties coming up. You can't afford the properties that are coming up. But in September, a property comes on in the area that I want for £600,000, and I had not seen a detached property come up for less than seven fifty. So my heart essentially got to my throat, and I was like, oh no, I know there are lots of people that are going to want to bid for this property. I really want it. This is probably the only property I will ever be able to afford in this area. Let's go for it, I told my husband. It was a bungalow. Um, it was very in very bad condition. But when I called the estate agent, he told me he'd already received a lot of inquiries on this property and he would put my name down to view it the following Tuesday. This was a Friday. Before I called the estate agent, I'd also called one of my best friends and asked her to also call the agent and and book a viewing because I needed her to get the intel on whether there was a lot of interest. And she told me, yeah, there is a lot of interest. But so that it's not it wasn't a dud call, I I asked her to basically book a viewing appointment and said she said, okay, I will. And I said, don't worry about uh, showing up for that appointment. Uh, If need be, I will find someone to go to it. Tuesday arrived and the property had six viewings, one after the other 20-minute slots. 
I said a lot of Hail Marys on the way to view the property. I was walking there. Um, and as soon as I saw it, I was, I was essentially in love. I, I knew this was the place for us. It had a lot of the features that we wanted. I had always wanted a bungalow because they tend to have large plots. I had always wanted not only a drive, but an in-out drive. And it had an in-out drive. I liked the layout. It had a high-pitched roof, so I knew it could be converted. We could do a loft conversion without adjusting um, the roof structure too much. Um, it was in the area that I wanted. Oh my gosh, am I going to get this property? Now, up for 600000 me and my husband needed to do work before we could move into this property. It was not livable. And I wanted to make an offer that was about 5 to 10% less than asking so essentially 540 to 570 so on the day of the viewing i got um, um, one of my painter friends to go to the viewing slot that my friend had booked and uh, so and asked him to give me a quote for for paintwork etc um he just said he was the name of the person who booked it it wasn't it wasn't too difficult however i didn't want to put in a low ball offer and not be taken seriously because as it happened, the state agent that had put the property onto the market is the same one that had uh, been taking the calls uh, for the property that we'd wanted in Mosley. And he knew we really wanted this place and I, I didn't want to do anything to turn him off. So in order to put my low ball offer, I asked my friend, she didn't want this property. I said, can you call them and see if they would accept an offer in the range of like 570? I think we went in at about 5% off there. And and she did. Um, I, 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 don't quote me on this figure. I don't remember exactly the figure we told her to bid, but it, it was within the range that I thought would give us a decent um, bit of money in the pot in order to start doing work on the property. Then she called me back and she said, they say they already have uh, some offers uh, better than mine. Um, so you decide what you want to do. I said, okay, hold your offer uh, and I will make my offer. I knew my offer was going to be greater than what I'd asked her to put in because I needed to put in an offer that would be taken seriously. Oh, actually, I make a mistake. The property was owned for 595 Yeah. So I called and basically made an asking price offer. This was a Tuesday. And they said, okay, we've got viewings on Thursday. And we're going to take those viewings as well um, in, in order to decide. Uh, in the meantime, my husband and I wrote a heartfelt a felt letter to the seller. Uh, my friend Mirena and her husband Milko gave us this tip because it had worked for them in the past. We expressed how we loved this property. We said we weren't developers and we were going to um, have it as our home. We said we could visualize our children playing in the garden and climbing the tree out front. We told them that we'd lost out to cash buyers on a previous property. And although we're not cash buyers, we told them we'd be as efficient as possible in executing uh, the purchase because we are experienced buyers and have done this before. I gave him an estimate of having it done by September. So essentially three months from September. We put in screenshots of our credit record at Experian. Essentially, we, we, we gave it our all in that letter and I posted it through the letterbox. Lo and behold, during school pickup on that Tuesday, I get a text from the seller 
saying thanks for your letter i've got it and thanks for showing your interest and that was a lot more than i expected i did not expect a text back on thursday they decided uh, they weren't going to make a decision they were going to think about it for the weekend waiting for a seller to decide what they're going to do is excruciating especially when you know the property that you've just seen is the one but we waited what choice did we have and on Monday, first thing, the estate agent calls and says, the seller tells me he wants the property sold today. Give me your best and final offer. I said, my best and final offer is whatever one pound better is than the, the best bid. I really want this. I have to get it. She said, okay, I'll put you in for 600,000. That was essentially 5K more. I said, okay, yeah, fine. Secretly, our walkaway price was 625000 because for your forever house, you're willing to push it to a limb. But we knew at 625, uh, we could spend 100K doing up the property. And I don't know where I was coming up with these refurbishment numbers, but still not have uh, overspent in terms of going above the ceiling price of the street, which uh, we thought for the bungalow might probably be around 750. After about, a half an hour, an hour, uh, and they called my friend as well. And I told her to stick to that low ball offer and to basically, you know, say why it had to be a, a lower offer, all the work that needed to be done, etc., etc. So they were sort of anchored at this lower property and they knew there was me really dying to buy this at just slightly above asking price. Called, called me back and said, you've got it. Oh. What joy. I don't think I can even express the joy that I felt when I got that call telling us we had got this property. It was completely the exact 180 of the disappointment we felt when we'd lost out on the other one. Um, I have a, a broker that I always used. Uh, I always use, I've used it since 2013. Got onto the case. Um, she got me a mortgage in principle. We forwarded it on. Our mortgage in principle was for the you know full asking price. And in fact, she'd calculated that based on our incomes. And none of us earn a six-figure income, by the way. Uh, but we do have rental income of just shy of 50000 uh, And after, after interest costs, it's more like probably 35000 So that that could be taken into account. But in this case, I, I, I think they, did, they, they underweighted it. Um, all the documents went through. There were a few hitches, quite big hitches in the purchase process. Um, the first one was that the house had cracks in it and the bank said they wouldn't lend us any money unless a structural engineer confirmed that it was sound. Uh, and he did. I, I found one very quickly. Um, the the whole, I, I, the I managed to get in contact with the seller. He was very generous with giving us access to the property. He let me take an architect in to give a quote uh, on doing the house up. Um, and ultimately, the sale closed in the first week of December, on the 10th of December. And it was very much, the seller even said, this was very much in line with the timeline that you'd given me. Then we had the struggle of figuring out how we were going to afford to do this place up. Uh, my budget was 100000 My architect basically, when I said that was my budget, said, hmm. Uh, and I should have known that I'm being completely realistic, but I didn't. And I think not knowing what you're getting yourself into sometimes is beneficial because 
if someone had told me we would end up spending 225000 to do up the property, or if I had been quoted that, there is no way I would have said, let's, let's go ahead with this. So we essentially were just figuring things out as we went along. My husband's parents, my in-laws, um, texted us and said, is there anything we can do to help? And I said to my husband, this is our chance. Ask them if they can lend us £75,000. And that's a big, big ask because uh, my husband grew up in essentially a one-earner household. His mum was qualified um, to work as a nurse, but mostly she raised the kids. So his dad um, was a council worker and I'm a government worker. We know what salaries are like. So it, it wasn't like we were tapping into a deep well of finances. But lo and behold, they said we don't have 75000 but we do have 50000 that we could lend to you. They admitted that they did have a little bit more than that in cash ISAs, but didn't want to take out so they don't lose the tax benefit. Although there's not very much uh, interest being paid nowadays. I were so grateful. We said, yep, thanks. Uh, that 50000 would be great. And in addition, that 70000 balance um, in, in March 2020 across our investment portfolios had grown to 110,000 because the 2020 stock market just skyrocketed. We weren't invested in any individual stocks. Uh, most of the money was in Fundsmith, Terry Smith's Fundsmith, S&P 500 um, trackers, and uh, a tech tracker. It was a, a passive technology index tracker, and all of them were doing brilliantly. So, uh, we had to do, I think, a 15% deposit. So that was 90,000 90, uh, on the 600,000 property. Plus there were some costs, legal costs, etc., which took it close to 95, not, not, not more than 95. So of the 110, we spent 95,000 um, and we had another 15,000 left over. However, uh, we also had to pay £18,000 in extra stamp duty because if you buy a house whilst you own another house, you have to pay an extra 3%. <coughs> we did plan to sell our home, but although it had it on the market for ages, it wasn't being bought. This was a blessing and a curse at the same time. It was a blessing because we had somewhere to live while the work was being done, but it was a slight curse in that we actually needed that money. There was 150,000 of equity in the house. And that's why I'd hoped to spend 100,000 and have 50,000 left over to, to put into our ISIS. But that's not how it worked out. We continued to live in the house. We had 50,000 pounds from Nan and Gramps, um, which helped us start the work off. Um, we were continuing to earn. So savings were fully on hold and we were cash flowing as much as we could. Now, I'm going to say the, all the, the, the sources of money that we had, and you can add them up. We spent 225000 on doing up the house, and you'll find that the numbers I give total to more than two hundred twenty-five, just slightly, um, but we were cash flowing the work uh, as well. So that's how it all added up. Essentially, after the initial 50000 ran out at around the end of February, we got the 50000 at the beginning of January, my husband got a 25,000 loan from the Halifax at an interest rate of 2.9%. It was super easy to get that loan. You basically just went onto your online account because it's his main bank, applied, got the money straight away. 
that 25,000 had pretty much run out by the end of March. So I applied for a 30,000 loan from HSBC. The interest rate was 3.3%. If I took that amount, I could have borrowed as much as 50,000. But as soon as I went over the 30,000 threshold, the interest went to about 6.6%. Not attractive. We thought the sale would be done by June, but it wasn't. And so, um, sorry, we found a buyer by around March, April of our house, uh, which was megally exciting. Um, oof, actually, I lie. I don't even remember when the sell say uh, it must have been in mid-March. It must have been in mid-March. Yep. Just uh, mid to end March before the financial year end, some sellers gave us an offer, which we accepted of £385,000 on our old house. We had 235000 in mortgage, so 150000 in equity. That sale was going to take us through, uh, we hoped, to the end of June. They, there was a stamp duty holiday. That meant we saved £20,000 on, £20, on our purchase. Um, and the, because the, the sale of our own house hadn't come through, by the end of June, we were running out of all the money we'd borrowed. The 50000 we'd borrowed from Nan and Grams were paying 2.4% interest. They didn't want interest, but we felt better for paying them interest because they were losing interest. So we paid a little bit better than what interest they were losing to make it worth their while, essentially. I made, made the impromptu decision that we needed to remortgage our house. And there was 150000 of equity. We got 66000 out in, through a remortgage. And this is the point where I made a decision that I regret in hindsight and I wouldn't have made because after we got the 66,000 in the remortgage I paid off my 30,000 loan from HSBC in its entirety thinking actually we're not going to need too much more money the work will be done and um, this money is enough however by mid-July the sale hadn't gone through so I had to borrow money again from HSBC but I must have been on some kind of a blacklist because now even the 18500 cost me 6.6%. At the end of July, uh, the sale of our house went through. We got uh, a check for £85,000. We managed to pay off all the debt that we had to Nanny and Gramps. However, my husband's loan, we decided not to pay off. We didn't have enough money to pay it off. We still owed the builder a little bit of money, which we were cash flowing. He, he had said we can pay it, you know, on a monthly timeline and there was no pressure. Around mid-August, I logged into my bank account and HMRC had repaid the 18000 in extra stamp duty um, with interest, £59 of interest, which I wasn't expecting at all. Instead of uh, paying off my husband's loan, we decided to do the smart thing and put it into our stocks and shares ISA so that we could make uh, the 2021-22 um, full ISA allowance, which we, in the end, managed to do. So after all the work was said and done, we had roughly 20, 20 odd thousand of loans uh, after a year still. We're still paying that loan off. Uh, and actually, we're hoping that by the end of this year, we'll have cleared it. So we'll have essentially cash flowed um, the work, still managed to save our full cash ISA allowance for the previous year and managed to pay this loan off. 
It was a little bit stressful to man project manage the work. I did all the project management because we received quotes that were ridiculous from contractor builders. So we decided to go with a working builder. That was, I think, the best decision for us. It gave us a lot of control over the the whole design. The new house that we bought was a stone's throw from our old house, so I could just pass by every day. And naturally, I enjoy managing a project, especially something uh, property-related, because I, I love the creative aspect of it. I think there was a lot of risk involved in us taking out these mortgages. Um, one thing I didn't mention is that we, when we bought the house, uh, we got... Uh, an 85% LTV mortgage, so 15% deposit, and it was on a variable rate. Uh, and the rate started off at 2.82%. The reason I did this is that I knew at the end of the project, the house would be worth a lot more based on the money spent on it. So if we didn't increase the mortgage amount, we could remortgage at a 60% LTV. Lo and behold, uh, bang on at the end of July, interest rates had continually fallen from December when we'd bought the house. And whereas a five-year fixed rate mortgage was at about 1.35% in the December, it was as low as 0.98% in the summer of 2021. And we secured a 1% interest. I calculated that uh, based on the deal, uh, the arrangement fees, etc. The 1% deal was actually the best one for us. Uh, we got better than a 60% LTV. Um, the house, uh, the mortgage we'd initially taken off on was 505000 We didn't need to increase it. The valuations from estate agents came out at about a million. So even with the 500000 mortgage, the loan to value was 50%. So we got this 1% rate very easily, having paid uh, a 2.82% interest rate. The interest portion of our mortgage at that rate was about £1,200, £1,300. And when we moved on to this new rate, the interest portion of our mortgage was just over 400 So we're living in a basically £1 million house uh, for £400 of interest. And everything else was going towards repayment. Now, uh, immediately from the start, we decided to overpay our mortgage by roughly £1,000 every month. Uh, and that meant by the end of the five-year term, the mortgage balance should be about three, four, five. Now that interest rates are trending up, we're hoping to sweep any extra money we can fa find uh, into the mortgage so that it's as close to 300k as possible. But even at three, four, five, um, it should hopefully be quite affordable on two salaries. Whilst um, I was comfortable taking that risk for six months with, you know, all the loans uh, and the remortgages etc i'm naturally quite a financially conservative person and our rule as a household is that our lifestyle should be affordable on a single salary and so far we are managing to maintain that with any extra money being put towards debt or our ices that wasn't so hard actually i thought i'd feel embarrassed about sharing all these numbers and I think I've been quite candid and shared most numbers except our salaries, which I think it's disingenuous to, well, not disingenuous, it's not great to do for my employer. Um, someone at work might find this podcast and, you know, it can cause issues if you reveal your salary. My husband's salary as a, an NHS consultant is Googleable. If you just Google NHS consultants, he's been a consultant for, what, 
maybe three or three or four years now um and he gets the standard rate however he did a lot of extra overtime work which helped us fund this project because covid was going on he was able to do overtime work from home because consultations were over the phone um and uh, in his best month i think he did that ten thousand pounds of overtime so it wasn't easy um and he is one of the key reasons we managed to to do this although when he saw this house he thought oh my gosh what is heather thinking now she is gonna ruin us but now he totally loves where we live um and i our children have so much more space so much more you know garden to run around and although it's a higher mortgage people in the fire community will be like i shouldn't have done that totally worth it totally worth it i'd make the same decisions all over again uh, i don't regret increasing our mortgage to have the kind of life we have in this house uh, it's about the space the garden the parking um and long run it's it's well I, I i see myself so i don't think our house is particularly you know profligate or over the top we use all the space that we've got and we love living here and and the space works we've got you know uh enough space for our parents to to live with us if they needed to so yeah all in that's that was the experience so key takeaways what do i think the key takeaways are possibly from this well i think you've probably got your own key takeaways but i'd say these are the 10 i think there are one it takes time in our case it took three years to find some place that we like um, and this is not because we're fussy, but it's also because nothing was coming onto the market that we could afford. There were things that we liked, but we couldn't afford them. Uh, and seeing as we loved where we lived before, uh, save for the fact that there wasn't any drive and it was comfortable, we didn't really have to rush. So we could afford to wait and we did. Um, if if you're okay with it, you can look further out, different areas, etc., but that wasn't on our card. So essentially, keep your eyes open. And if you're looking for an investment property rather than one to live in, you're probably a little bit more flexible. Second is keep your credit score good. Even if you don't have money, the ability to borrow money pretty much enables you to do things that you would never have been able to do. And this is coming from someone who is quite um, conscious of not taking on too much debt. Three, old-fashioned letters help. I would never have even considered to write a letter if it hadn't been for that conversation with my friends. And if you're going to write a letter, be honest, speak your heart, speak your truth. You, developers are not always going to win. Sometimes people do genuinely want to sell to a good family, and that counts for something. And if you do have a good credit score, include it in the letter. It, it, you know, it will help to put you in good stead and it won't hurt at any rate. Four is don't forget the bank of mum and dad. I mean, we didn't expect our in-laws to have anything to lend us, but we tried and they did have uh, something. If there's something I'm consistently learning from year to year, it's that it's not the rich people that have money. It's the people that save hard all their lives that will tend to have more than you think so don't underrate your parents they might have something that they can loan you and if you've built that relationship of trust with your parents they may be willing to lend it to you five uh, variable rate mortgages have their place 
the beauty of a variable rate mortgage is that it has no early repayment charge. And in this process, I used a variable rate mortgage twice. First, when we bought the house, knowing that in six to seven months, the house will be refurbed and we can remortgage at a lower LTV, 60% instead of 85%. Then when we were running out of money, luckily the, the house we were living in, the mortgage came to an end and we remortgaged to a variable rate and we repaid that mortgage within two months or three months. And that actually created a problem of its own. At the end, when we needed um, to sell the house, the registry hadn't been updated with the new mortgage lender. So we had to get a rush on things, etc. Um, it's a story for another day. Um, so don't forget variable rate mortgages. It's not all about fixed rate mortgages. All fixed rate mortgage deals have an early repayment charge. And even if you get a two year deal, um, you have to wait two years. What if you push your builders hard and get the work done quickly? In most cases, you should be able to get work done, you know, in a few months. Six, um, having a salary track record really helps in the property business. I remember when I was self-employed, I was struggling to get mortgages, um, you know, of any significant amount because I paid myself a minimal salary and was keeping the money in the business to reinvest. So having a regular job with a regular salary and that track record really gives lenders some comfort. And the seventh point is related to incomes. Two incomes helped us get, uh, you know, a fairly large mortgage. Um, and it's not a large mortgage for life. We are paying it off as rapidly as we can. But it took two incomes, uh, two stable incomes in order to achieve our goal. And even if you're just property investing, that might help you as well. I recall when I was remortgaging buy-to-let properties, they wanted me to have at least myself a salary of 20000 per annum. So yeah, income, income, income. Eight, take advantage of opportunities when you see them. The stamp duty holiday is something that apparently happened more than 20 years before the stamp duty holiday we got in 2020. And I was not going to let that chance slip. A lot of people kept saying, oh you're probably paying a higher price anyway. So that stamp duty deal is, you know, a complete wash. However, when I saw the pro property I saw, I knew the price was lower than what I was willing to pay. Um, and I, I'm still convinced today it wasn't overpriced because I've seen other related properties in the same uh, area on related streets go for way more above asking price. So if you see an, advantage, uh, an opportunity, take advantage of it. You don't know when that opportunity will come again. And £20,000 is not an amount to be sniffed at in terms of the, of the amount we saved on stamp duty. Um, nine, you can remortgage and pay off a mortgage in, in two or three months. That's a poor point all of its own. So if you're coming to the end of a mortgage deal and there's something that you want to do um, and there's good reason for you to, you know, go into a variable rate because it's, you know, a quick release of cash or you don't need to be locked into a mortgage for some reason, do it. It feels risky when you're doing it, but in the end, it, will, it worked out fine. And then 10, things will go wrong. I cannot tell you the number of things that uh, happened that were unexpected, for, unexpected from the moment we offered on the property 
in September of 2020 until July of 2021 when all the work and the remortgages were finished. Tons of things, things related to the build, things related to money running out, uh, suppliers not delivering on time. It was right at the beginning of the shortage or, or, or the supply limits and the struggle uh, for things to come into the UK from China and, and other countries. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Embrace it. A little bit of stress is not going to hurt. And yeah, do you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions on property, this property acquisition, previous property acquisitions, send me a question and look up my property course on Udemy. Just use my name. Search using my name, Heather Katonga Woodward, uh, UK Property, and it should come up. And in the show notes, I will include a link to my property course on Udemy. Uh, And I'll include a lovely little discount as well. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening. I have three things that you can do. Firstly, please give me a five-star review in Apple Podcast. It really helps for people to find this podcast. And if I have not earned your five-star rating, please send me a message and let me know how I can earn your five-star review. Secondly, if you've enjoyed this, share it with a friend that you think is going to benefit. And finally, for some of my writing on personal finance, go to katsonga.com forward slash my books.